A little while ago, there was this um, 60-year-old guy. His dad had just died at the funeral, and it rested on him to close up his parents' house, the house he grew up in. Um, How many of you ever closed up one of your parents' homes? Okay, so maybe 20 of you. You just look around and um, you get to do this someday if you haven't. Okay, it's a mixed blessing. And I closed up my parents' home and my in-laws' home and, and I thought it was fun. My siblings and my uh, siblings-in-laws thought it was terrible. Anyway, this guy's upstairs in the attic, <clears throat> and he's going, he opened up a trunk. Old people have trunks, and they store memorabilia in them, okay? And close to the top of the trunk <clears throat> was his childhood diary or journal. I'm not sure what the difference is between diary and journal. I think guys have journals and girls have diaries. That's the only definition I've ever heard. (coughs) And he's thumbing through it, and all of a sudden, he remembers this one day. He was a kid. He was 10 years old. Looks through at the right year and the right date, June 23rd. Boom, there it is. (coughs) Went fishing all day with my dad. Best day of my life. 50 years earlier, he still remembers it. It was, it's the best memory that he has. And so he's flooded with emotion while he's going through the other stuff, you know, putting him in the, the keep pile and the throw out pile. And <clears throat> the throw out pile is a lot bigger than the keep pile. And he gets down to the bottom and he finds another journal. This one's leather. It's cracked. It's got one of those those things you wrap around it and pulls it out, opens it up it's his father's journal and lo and behold some of the dates overlapped so he says I'm going to check out that day we went fishing see what dad said so he goes to the very end of the journal and sure enough it is in there June 23rd, same year and his dad has an entry And he's so excited to read what his dad had to say about this best day of his life. And his dad wrote these words. Went fishing with my son. Caught nothing. Wasted day. Now, how can two human beings go through the exact same experience but have two diametrically opposed ways of evaluating the success of that day. How can that be? Now, this morning we're going to look at the subject of success. How do we define success? And we're going to take a look at a number of of areas in our life, and we're going to contrast a worldly definition of success with a kingdom definition of success. We've been studying this month about the prophet Elijah. And in terms of 
doing spectacular things, there's no one that even touches Elijah. None of the prophets. None of them. And yet, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks or, or plugged in online or something, you, you know some of those things. Just read, you know, 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. And yet, Elijah felt he was a failure. How many people came <clears throat> to trust in God because of his ministry? Zero. <clears throat> his whole life, he told the Israelites, the northern kingdom okay, to turn back to God, and they didn't. They refused. They were unfaithful. From a world's perspective, he was a total failure, and he felt that way, and he ran away, and he was in a cave, and he was depressed, and he was having a pity party. He felt sorry for himself. He said, Father, he said God, I'm no better than my, than my forebearers. I've failed. Take my life. I no longer want to live. Failure. And then Pastor Brad went through what happened last week in there. <clears throat> God slaps him around and says, get up, I'm not done with you yet, Elijah. You're not a failure. Now, it's key for us to understand as disciples of Jesus Christ we just don't switch teams and keep living the way we used to live. This is important. Jesus told the crowds, he said, before you decide to follow me, sit down and count the cost. Now, the message today, as you, you'll see as we get into it, this is not entry-level stuff. This is not spiritual milk. You're not going to like some of the things you hear today because it's going to hit a little close to home. You're going to say, oh, I'm not sure I signed on for this. What I signed on, Americanized Christianity is pathetic. It's been said, rightly so, that it's 3,000 miles wide and a half inch deep. We sign on and the deal is, Lord, <clears throat> I will believe in you. Okay, and you're going to be with me, you're going to give me strength, you're going to give me success, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's the deal. I believe you give me success. I don't know, no, no, that's not the deal. Jesus said, if anyone chooses to follow me, let him deny himself. When do you, you know, I loved Billy Graham. And I got to hear him a number of times in person because the president of our seminary was Billy Graham's mentor. Now, Billy hated to come to seminary because everybody was saved there. And I, I didn't want to. He argued with our president. But he, he because <clears throat> he mentored Billy and he gave him all his early material and he brought him out of obscurity and stuff, stuff like that. <clears throat> and uh, never did Billy Graham ever talk about the cost of discipleship. He was an evangelist. He was not a discipler. His job was to get people into the kingdom. No criticism at all. Great, towering figure of a man. But when you're making an invitation 
to come to Jesus, how many times have you heard the pastor say, wait, wait, stop. I see you getting ready to come up. Stop. Sit down and count the cost. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross. Well, that doesn't go, that's not going to get many people to cross the line. But that's what Jesus did. He said, you can't start out and then quit. You can't put your hand to the plow and then turn back. Now, <clears throat> the world's definition of success always has numbers around it. How much money did you make? How much money did your car cost? How big is this? How many? How many fish did we catch? God's definition of success is upside down. As a matter of fact, most of the values in our life, when we come to faith in Christ, need to be turned upside down. Nobody tells us that. We think we can come to faith and just keep going. It's not the case. We are called and, and asked and commanded and led into turning our worlds upside down. Every last iota of our lives. There are at least three, probably more, but we have recorded for us three different instances when <clears throat> Jesus is busy with something over here and the 12 are alone. And usually when mom and dad aren't around, conversation changes. So dad, big brother's not around, and they're talking about who's the greatest, and they're arguing. They're jockeying for position. You know, they're kind of like 10 chickens in the coop trying to establish a pecking order. And Jesus comes back, and he asks them, and he says, well, what were you guys discussing when I was gone? Now, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's like in the garden, <clears throat> after Adam sinned, and he ran away, and God says, where are you? It's not as though, you know, God didn't know where he was. So the 12 are silent. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. Well, we were talking about which one of us is the greatest. Which one of us, when you return, will get to sit at the most prestigious seats. That's success in this world, to be able to sit at a prestigious seat. And Jesus said, no, let me explain something to you guys. Success in the kingdom is different. It's not about prestige. It's about being a servant. Now, where do we hear that? We, we, we don't hear that anywhere. You want to be great, Jesus says, you must become a servant to everyone. <clears throat> so what happens is that our value system across the board, if we are being transformed, gets turned upside down. Let me <clears throat> read to you. Paul describes this to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. First six verses He's gone through a list of his pedigree, his 
uh, what should we say, his credentialing. Okay, we want to know somebody's credentials. You know, what, uh, <clears throat> how can they say this and that? You know, what, 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 what degrees do they have? Where have they studied? And so Paul lists all these things, all these things that he was the most proud of that made him a success. And then verse 7 is a turning point. And he says this, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. Do you see the, the, the total, the upside downness of this? I once thought these things were precious, but now I see that they're worthless because of what Christ has done. And in verse 8, he says the same things over again. Yes, everything else is worthless with, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting them as garbage that I can gain Christ. So, uh, you know, my mom, she's dead, and we cleaned up her house, and we threw out a lot of stuff, but when, when we were going through closing up her house, she had two notebooks. Really, these were, the, they were scrapbooks, they were. They were, they were about two or three inches thick. They were so filled with stuff. And <clears throat> they were filled with, she had one on each one of us kids. And mine, I was the overachiever. Mine was just filled with accolades and accomplishments. You know, I won the high jump in second grade. <laughs> and there was a little teeny something or other there for that. She, she kept it. It's piles and piles of stuff. <clears throat> now, we usually don't have those dating back to elementary school or, or, or middle school or whatnot. But we have those things that we consider these are the things that show my worth. You read about them in a person's obituary. How many of you get the Toledo Blade delivered to your house? Anybody? <laughs> I love it. That newspaper's on its last legs. Anyway, <laughs> because there's only, it only comes out two days a week, Thursday and, 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 and Sunday, they pile Thursday and Sunday's issue with obituaries. You know, they got to get a week's worth in in two days. And there's four or five pages. You know, there's about, I don't know, eight or 10 or 12 people on each page. And if you look through, it's a little notebook of all the things that were of value to, to that person. It's what Paul listed. We didn't read it, but in the first six verses of Philippians chapter 3. And he says, but since I've come to know Christ, all these things have no value anymore. Matter of fact, they have negative value. They're garbage to me. Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. You see what happens. And we're not told this either when we first believe. But it's so important to understand <clears throat> that when we come to faith in Christ, when we give him our life, our, our life no longer belongs to us. It's not an add-on. Jesus is not 
an add-on. Here, I got all these things. I have this list of all the things that make me successful. And, oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'll add him on. He's one of the things in the shopping cart. No, 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 no. No. It doesn't work that way. When you give your life to Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. You may never have heard that. You need to hear that. When you commit your life to Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to God. He owns you. He died for you. That's the transaction. It's not have a little bit of belief and you make it into the heaven and into the kingdom. No, it's he dies for you and you embrace that and as a result you give him your life and say, "Lord, it's no longer mine but yours." Like Jesus said in the garden, "Lord, not my will, but your will be done." We were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And so now our lives belong to him. Paul said it eloquently in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. I love this. He said, you and I, we were delivered from the dominion of darkness, this world. And we were transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Do you know what that word do we use that word transfer in our, uh, in our vocabularies much? When do we use that word transfer? Bank balance. Okay, the money is taken out of here and transferred over here. Is it still over here? No. It was transferred out of. You and I, if we've given our life to Christ, we are no longer a citizen of this world. I mean, we got to pay taxes and we got a moral lawn. You know, we got to pay the sewer bill and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or if you transfer schools, you used to go to school here, but now you transfer. You're not in that school anymore. We have been transferred out of this world into the kingdom of God. We're not in this world anymore. These are no longer our values. Now, they may in fact, still be hanging around. That's what we're going to look at in just a minute. But it is incumbent upon us, now that we've transferred into a new bank, into a new school, into a new kingdom, to begin to embrace and reflect these new values. So we need to know what those values are. And that's why being in this word every day is the most important thing you can be about. This is where we learn the values of the kingdom. If we only crack the good book on Sunday mornings, and we don't even bring the book anymore, we just look it up on, oh, and we put it up on on the screen, make it easier for everybody. We're not going to be transformed. We need to open this on a daily basis. That's why North Point provides those those, uh, uh, dailies for you, so you can have... You know, spend five minutes in the Word of God on an ongoing basis. We've been transferred. We've changed our citizenship. We used to belong to this country over here. 
Now we belong to the kingdom. The writer of Hebrews said, here we have no lasting city. Paul says, here we are exiles, we are aliens. This is not our home. And yet we continue to live by the value system of our old home, the world. But we have professed now Jesus as Lord. Do you know what that profession means? <clears throat> it means we bend our knee, the knee of our soul, the knee of our heart, the knee of our will to his desires. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Now, how do we flesh that out practically? I put, did you get one of those little cards? Everybody have a card? Four by five-ish card. <clears throat> I just sat down and in three minutes, four minutes for me, I jotted down a list. Oh, I don't have the list here in front of me, but uh, Randy, can you get me a copy of that four by five card? Um, I just jotted down a list of areas in our life Thanks. Where we have values. Every one of us has a value in these 10 areas. And we know darn right what the value system is over here in our former country where we were citizens. And we've got kind of sort of an idea of what the values are over here in this new country, the kingdom, but... <clears throat> We're not sure we're ready to totally transfer. You know, we spoke about a money transfer. We're not sure whether we want to have all our money and all our assets transferred over into the kingdom. We want to keep some over here just in case. We want to, want to have one foot in each kingdom. That's what Elijah said to the people of Israel on top of Mount Baal. He said, how long are you going to keep limping in two different directions? Choose which kingdom you're going to be a citizen of. So I'm going to take you through uh, expeditiously. I won't say quickly, but as, as quickly as effectiveness will allow through these 10 things. And here's where the message becomes interactive. You see, um, you're going to choose one of these 10 things and circle it. Now, at the first service, there were just a few people, so we had everybody come up, and it was just your prayer. Lord, I want my values to reflect the kingdom in this area. You get to choose the area, okay? Now, don't circle all 10 of them. All 10 of them probably need to be circled, but just choose one you can't do all 10 at once. You'll fail. But you can do one at a time. And what you're saying is, Lord, this number six or number three or whatever it is, I can see that my value system is still reflects the world. I want it to reflect the kingdom. I know it's going to cost me. I need your help. Please help me. I want to work on this. That's what you're saying when you circle this. And then when you leave, there's, I see there's a white box right over there. There's a wicker box right there. Um, uh, 
there, there's no box over there. You can't go out that, that door where uh, Misty is. Um, but you're going to place it in there, and the leadership of North Point is going to pray for you. Don't put your name on it, okay? <clears throat> or if you have another request, put it on the back. Write it on the back. Put it in that box. We're going to pray for you. It's going to help us understand where you're at, and it's going to be a commitment of you to move forward in embracing kingdom values in that area. Now, the first one on the list is money. <clears throat> the world loves money. Money, money, money. Money makes the world go round. Jesus said you can't love money and God at the same time. Every little kid that grows up in this country, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it happens. They love money. Now, there may be a few naive ones that haven't figured it out yet. Okay? I had a granddaughter like that. You know, I want to say, no, no, honey, don't do that. But eventually they catch on. They love money. It's just, it's just a natural thing. And that's what happens over at this side in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said, we have, to, we have to deal with money in this world. You know, you got to pay rent. You got to pay, uh, 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 you know, a car payment if you don't own your car. You got to pay for groceries. You got to pay taxes. He said, but where your treasure is, your heart should be also. It shouldn't be in money. We should be learning how to be generous people. That took me 20 years after I decided to transfer my allegiance into the kingdom. I was not generous. I was so tight. My mother was so tight that on once a year we'd go out to a restaurant, which was very rare. Um, she always hung back because my dad would pull, pull out his billfold and put about $3 tip there, and she waited till he was out of sight, and she would grab the tip money. That's how tight she was. We didn't get good service. We're not tipping this. You know, it just couldn't please my mom. Learning how to be generous And generosity, it, it, it begins here. Giving generously. I think about a year ago or so, I spoke about tithing. Tithing is a, uh, over here in the kingdom, it's a kingdom value. It's a simple thing. To, I could go over and teach those little kids in five minutes across, this, across the way with, uh, with Andrew and Hannah. Okay. If you get an, how much do you get for allowance? Kids get a lot of today for allowance, like $2 or something like that. Like, I used to get a nickel. I don't know what happened, but you can't really tithe from a nickel. But you can tithe from $2. That's 20 cents. You give them 20 dimes, they get it. Count out nine things, that's for you. Count out one, that's for God. <clears throat> that's easy when you're getting $2 a week. When you're getting $2,000 a week, it's not so easy, or 200 But that's where you start. If that's the one you've circled, see, see how I said this is hard? Nobody's going to want to circle this one. You circle this one, you're going to start tithing. Lord, this is going to kill me, but I want to have kingdom values. And by the way, we're going to start a building program here very soon. Um, simply because there's no, we're a congregation that loves to be with each other, and we have no room out there in that hallway. So we're going to make a big giant hallway so we can greet each other. And that's not just going to fall down from heaven. We're going to need to give generously. So it'd be great if we had a lot of people circling that first one. Added, okay, second one, enough on that. 
our tongue. I had to learn the hard way that I didn't always use my tongue for the best purposes. Gossip is the great American pastime over here. It's the value that we share. There's nothing like gossip. And to be the first one to get a juicy mortal, oh, morsel, oh, this is so pleasurable. There's so much pleasure in it. That is not a kingdom value. The scripture says, speak evil of no man. If this is the one you circle, you say, Lord, I am a gossip. I don't want to be. And, and I've tried, but it just helped me. And by the way, you might fool yourself into thinking, I'm just saying the truth. You know, I never, I, I just, that's what gossip is. Gossip is when you say something about another person when they're not there and it's negative and it's the truth. Now, slander is a different thing. <clears throat> Slander's when all that happens, but it's not the truth. I'm not even going to go there on slander. We'll just stay with gossip. Okay? James, the apostle. More than anyone else, he has a long soliloquy on the tongue. And he says, how can it be that with the same tongue that we praise our Savior, which we just did. And Gabe invited us to do it again and again. We praise our Savior, and with it we gossip about our fellow man. <clears throat> How can our tongue be so forked? He said, can, a, can a, uh, a fountain spew out salt water and fresh? He says, brothers, it, it should not be so. And then there's the, this is more of a problem with uh, with guys, although gals, you have your own issues, which I won't go into because I'm not an authority there, but um, with dirty jokes and stories around the water cooler or at the break time. That's no witness for Jesus. This is what they do. This is one of the values here in this world to be a good old boy. It is not a kingdom value. Which value system are you going to embrace? Might be that one, number two. Number three, forgiveness. I won't ask for a show of hands. But if you are harboring an unforgiving spirit towards someone right now, that needs to go. I, I, I can imagine that they hurt you deeply and you just don't possibly have the energy or the power or the strength to forgive them, nor do you want to forgive them. You have no choice. You are not your own anymore. You crossed over that rubricon and gave your life to Christ. He owns you now. And in the words of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us who sin against us, or forgive us our sins as we, for in the same way, do you realize what we're praying? We want you, Father, to be as forgiving to us as we are to others. What a, we should, when we get to that part in the Lord's Prayer, we should just not say it. We're, 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 we're pouring fire down upon ourselves. And then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, oh, by the way, in case you didn't get it, 
If you do not forgive your brother from the heart, neither will my heavenly Father forgive you. It is absolute, even if you haven't circled this one, you got to do it. I want every single one of you on that day to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want you to hear the words, you know, gladly would I have, would I have covered you with my forgiveness, but you didn't pass it on. I poured it out every day, but you kept it. You didn't pass it on. Now, you can't do this on your own. The wound is too deep. You need Jesus' help. And so you need to ask for it every day. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. Finally, I feel good towards that other person. No, it's not. It's an act of the will. Saying, Father, I'm still... Oh, man... I forgive that. I choose to forgive that person. And 10 minutes from now, you choose to forgive them again because you've slipped back in. It's a choice. And if this is your issue, you circle that. Van- uh, we're never going to make it through all these. Vanity, I'm going to skip that one. Um, <clears throat> you know if that one applies. Um, complaining versus, complaining seems to be the American, uh, the great American pastime. That's what you do here. There are no complainers in the kingdom of God. No complainers. It's about gratitude. About two days ago, two years ago, maybe it was three, I can't remember, I decided that when people ask me, hey, how you doing? You know, it's a common greeting and nobody really means anything and nobody expects to, um, uh, you know, if you say, oh, I'm really lousy, I'm really doing terrible, they go, oh, I don't want to, <laughs> I'll see you later, you know. <clears throat> and uh, uh, nobody really means they're fine, and nobody, you know, means what they how they respond. But I decided I'm going to say grateful. How are you doing? I say grateful. I went into the Toledo hospital on Friday for an operation, and and uh, there was the lady that checks you in, and she says, "How are you doing?" I said, "I'm grateful," and she, you know, I'm grateful too. We should all be grateful. <laughs> so. This is something that is not normal to be grateful in this world over here. And by the way, just because you sit here doesn't mean you're in this world. And just because you sit, just because you're sitting over here doesn't mean you made it in the kingdom. All right, it's just a, a a teaching device. Okay. But Paul said we should give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. In Christ, this is what God wants you to do. Not for all situations. You break your leg, you don't say, thank you, I broke my leg, Lord. But you say, thank you for being with me in this. Father, you understand that? So transferring your attitude from being a complainer to a a grateful person, that's another, another issue. And children, I put on the back of your North Point Weekly, or whatever it's called, I, 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 I regret to say this, but in most cases, a Christian parent, their desire for their children is no different from a parent who doesn't know Christ. How do we f- define success as Christian parent? When our kids make the honor roll, 
Well, that's a good thing. When they excel at sports, oh, that's a good thing. When they excel in the arts or they receive a scholarship, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. That's not success. Success, our highest aim is to give them every opportunity to love God and to love others, to model and teach what that looks like. Your kids need to see you in this book. They need to see that this book is the book of life to you. Not just hear about it across the, across the hallway on Sunday mornings. They need to see that this is the book of life for mom and dad. You need to model for them prayer. You need to teach them how to pray. You say, oh, I can't teach Yes, you can teach them. It's not rocket science. You're getting ready to you sit down and you eat together, <clears throat> whether it's breakfast or, or dinner, and you say, okay, we're going to go around the group and everyone's going to say thank you to God for one thing. And you have a three-year-old or a 13-year-old and they're going to thank God for silly things. But you keep at it. You keep at it relentlessly thanking God. And when you have the grandparents over, they have to play in this game too. Some of them don't know Jesus. But they look around, they see their grandchildren praying. They say, well, i got to pray for something. i got to be thankful for something. You are a witness. You are a candle for them. You're a salt. You need to make a decision. By the way, if your parents, um, <clears throat> this ought to at least be underlined, if not circled, because every day the kids are week, one week, every day they're one day less with you than they are out in the world. You want them to have kingdom values. The, the, the Apostle John, the one that was dearest to Jesus in his, thir- in his second letter, very teeny tiny letter, only 13 words, uh, 13 verses long. In verse 4, he says, There is no greater joy that a parent can have than to see his child follow the truth. Do you, do you, are you with me here on this one? It's not that they make the honor roll. I mean, I love it. I got a couple of smart grandkids. They make the honor roll. I go, oh, that's nice. I got a kid that's a senior this year. He plays varsity basketball. I want to see him get some court time. That's all nice. But more than any of those things, I want to see him come to faith in Jesus. That's why we've hired uh, Caleb Watrain here to work with our teenagers. Very impressionable time when he disciples them and he studies them so they can come to love Jesus. That's why we have the children's ministry from cradle all the way up to graduation. So our kids will come to know Jesus. Which set of values are you going to embrace? Your kids see it. Which sort of values do you live at home? You live a transparent life. <clears throat> I could go on on that one, but we just got a few more here. Judging. I was terrible at this. 
When I first became a Christian, I felt I thought that I thought I had a gift of judging. I was able to look at somebody and tell them what was wrong with them. Boy, I was an idiot. <clears throat> I read in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not lest ye be judged, for the judgment you give out to others will be the same judgment that God gives back to you. I was floored. I said, I, my goose is cooked if God judges me the way I judge others. So <clears throat> we had a 20-year learning curve for me to go through to change my value systems and not judge. I slip up from time to time. I haven't, after 50 years, I still haven't mastered it. But if you discover that you're, and if you don't know if you're judging people, if you think, oh, I got to pass on this one, I'm good, ask your spouse. <laughs> hey, sweetie, uh, do I judge people? Are you serious? You really want me to answer that? <clears throat> this, is, this will keep you out of the kingdom. It's a different value system. Sexual purity. I, I can't remember ever hearing a message on that here in North Point. Pastor Brad's not here so I can get away with it today. Okay? I'm sure at 1230 someone will have called him and, you know, out in Arizona and told him uh, what I said. Um, but God has designed sex. He's in favor of sex. All 100% in favor of sex, God is. He invented it. And he invented it to be fun and to be enjoyed and to be experimented around within the loving boundaries of a heterosexual marriage, period, end of sentence. He's done that for our benefit. The amount of trouble we get into when we decide to throw away his boundaries is just, I, I won't even go into it. Now, people say, well, Pastor, <clears throat> my girlfriend and I, we're going to get married, so it's okay. I said, no, it's not okay. 50% of the engagements in this uh, country end up broken up. I don't know how many girlfriend-boyfriend things end up broken up and not end up, but it's, it's huge. Pastor Don, this book, it's old-fashioned. It was written by a bunch of puritanical prudes. They don't know what they're talking about. It's the Word of God. This works. This is what works. This is the value system in the kingdom. You can go anywhere else and get the sexual values of the world. It's inundating. <coughs> if you've crossed the Rubicon and said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple then you take these sexual values and you live by them as incredibly difficult and sacrificial as that is. I'm going to let that one go. Humility. Oh, man. I can't tell you how difficult and hard and brutal it's been for me to work on this for 50 years. Because... At age 19, I didn't have a humble bone in my body. Not one. Five times in the scriptures, the only thing that's repeated five times other than the loving kindness of God. Five times it says in the scripture, God is against the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Here in this value system of the kingdom, God gives grace to the humble. Over in this value system of the world, pride is an attribute. It's the proud that rule and get ahead. But over here, the humble get thrown under the bus. I'm not going to try to tell you anything different. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the meek, meek and humble are are so close, they're Siamese twins. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's over here when the earth is remade. Today they get steamrolled over. That's what happened when Jesus was crucified. They spit on him. They whipped him. Showed humility. And they chewed him up. God rose him from the dead. And God is going to raise us from the dead someday too. This was on my list, circled on my list for a long time. Finally, the last one, a critical attitude. Um, we don't have enough time to go through that, but uh, no one has the gift of being able to criti- criticize other people. Now, <clears throat> the list could be much longer, okay? But I think you've got the picture of the two kingdoms and the two different value systems. And if you profess to be a Christ follower, you may want to back out today after hearing all this. But if you profess to be a Christ follower, you have made a decision to move in this direction. It takes a lifetime. Okay? You might not be able to start tithing this week. But you can move from 1% to 2%. And from 2 to 4 and to 4 to 6. In Romans 12, Paul tells us we need to be transformed, which means to be changed over a period of time. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind that we may be able to say yes and amen to the will of God. Here's the will of God. Here's where we are, somewhere between here and here. We want to be able to say to all these things in this card, one at a time, yes. I want my value system to reflect the kingdom. Help me, Lord, I've got a ways to go. So you're going to circle that area. On the way out, you're going to put this card into one of those baskets. Okay? Randy will take it from you if you forget to give it to him. Forget to put it in there. Um, I'm going to pray. This is our prayer. I'm going to pray for us. I'm with you in this. I, I still have a long way to go. I regret that when I die, I will not have fully perfected any of these. Let's pray. Pray with me. Precious Precious Lord Jesus, every time I read in the Gospels about you, I am I'm brought to my knees. At least my knees don't work well. I have to, I'm, I'm sitting, but in my heart I'm on my knees. And I am humbled by the example that you showed us of what attributes and attitudes are like in the kingdom. 
You told us we should turn the other cheek if we're hit. You told us we should love our enemies. You told us that we should forgive 70 times seven. You extended grace, unmerited grace without measure. That thief on the cross, he was a bomb all his life and you said, today I'll see you in paradise. He just turned in the right direction. He hadn't even made very much progress. Father, we have longer to live than that guy did. We want our life to count for something. And not just for another another catching of another fish so it was a good day. We want to reflect kingdom values. We offer you our money, our tongue, forgiveness, our complaints, our children, our judgmentalism, our sexuality, our arrogance, our criticalness. We can't change them on our own. Oh, how we need you, Jesus. We need you every hour. We need you. Help us. Help us. We ask in your precious name. Amen.